When you're doing hard things like fostering, developing a healthy mindset is everything. That's coming up next. Welcome back to the Fostering Marriage Podcast, a podcast devoted to helping you keep your marriage the priority and make fostering fit into it. So today we are talking about developing a mindset that will best serve you in your marriage and when you're fostering. So this is a biggie. This is going to be a two-parter, a two-part series Um, the show notes we created went on and on and on and on. So uh, sorry for those who don't love the two-part series because we only put out an episode uh, once a month right now. Uh, But, you know, too bad. You'll have to come (laughs) back. (laughs) Sucks to be. You'll have to come back and just listen to it in a month. But there is so much to cover here. And we're only covering a handful of mindset keys that are just so important. Um, in marriage and especially having uh, especially having a fostering marriage. So understanding how we think is vital because our behavior, decisions, reactions, and emotions all come from it. We covered that. We got into a lot of that on the last episode when, when you may be feeling like a failure and the follow-on emotion. But how we think is so incredibly important, which is why we wanted to get into mindset, because how we are as a married couple how we respond to situations, how we respond and react to biological parents, how we respond to our kids, again, how we respond to each other. This all comes from how we think as people. And our thinking and our emotions are all intertwined within themselves. Another major factor is personality style. Again, a good complement to this episode is the two-part series that we did on understanding personality styles. So go back and listen to that. But personality styles play a huge part in our mindset and also in our character. So let's go ahead and get into some key mindset and character traits that have served us well. Um, Before we get into these, I think it's good to acknowledge that we have failed at all of them. Totally. Um, But these are things to focus on, to practice, to have as goals and, you know, whatnot. Yeah, we're never going to be perfect thinkers. That is a bad expectation. That's to say, if I have perfect thinking... I'm going to have perfect emotions. I'm going to have perfect responses. I'm going to make perfect decisions. That is just not the reality of people, as we all know. So we need to have a healthy mindset that we are practicing skills in life. We're not mastering in the sense of, I've got this nailed. I'm never going to be prideful again, or I'm always going to be kind all the time in all situations. And if I'm not, then I must be a bad person. That is all super bad expectation of yourself. Yeah, so let's go ahead and just dive into the first one. Yeah, because we're going to have nine hours worth of things to talk about here. So let's get into this. All right, so the first one is surrender. And we wanted to go ahead and give you a definition so that we're all on the same page. So the definition uh, is the process of submitting to someone or a circumstance and being detached from desired outcomes. So as you can see, we started off with a very light one. (laughs) This one's massive. So the ones we're going to hit over this two-part series are are they're really important. They're they're probably a for us. They're a top five yeah. that we should focus on as fostering marriages and as parents. So let's unpack that definition a little bit. Let's take it like a like kind of walk it word by word. It's a process of 
submitting to someone, some people may be like already, I don't like that. Yeah. But why? Um, my own person, Joel. <laughs> I will not submit. That's yeah. a that's a that can commonly be seen as a bad thing. Well, and I think sometimes we think of submission as almost like being walked on. Yeah. Which is that's an unhealthy submission. Right. We're talking about a healthy submission. Think about in healthy communication in your marriage is that I'm submitting to you, you're submitting to me, and that's how we sometimes make decisions. Yeah. Because we're submitting to each other in order to have a decision. Or it's a, hey, where do you want to go out to eat this weekend? I'm going to, I want to go here. Great. Let's do that. The next weekend, where do you want to go? Great. Let's do that. We're yeah. submitting we, to each we, other. Yeah. We are subject to one another. <laughs> Mary yes. Beth, that's another West Wing reference. How can, you know, it's like we can be subject to one another as people. It means that we're submitting to one another. But what about a circumstance? We're submitting to a circumstance. That is that so can be massive in, and I think that's so massive in, in the fostering world because you have so little control of so many things when you enter into fostering. And so you are submitting to circumstances of who, what child is in your home. You didn't necessarily get to choose. You may have said, no, I don't want that particular situation, but you're not going to know everything about the child that comes into your home. Or their parents. Or their parents, or even... DCS is involved. I was going to say, if DCS is involved, or whatever foster organization you're through, their expectations or requirements, I mean... There are so many things that you do not have control of. Yeah, and and we don't like that as people. We tend to all be, as people, control freaks to some degree. That we start to feel fear and stress because what you're bringing us to is the last part of the definition is that we're submitting to circumstances because we're choosing to be detached from the outcome. Meaning, a gosh, you may have a desire Mm -hmm. for the way it's going to go, but you recognize... I can't control that. We can't control that. We can't do anything about that. And we're and to just going to fight it do. is going to make it worse and worse yeah. and worse and bring on so much negative emotion. We have to submit. We have to surrender. Yeah. That's what this looks like. So let's get into what holds people back from ever submitting or what holds people back from from uh, from surrender. Well, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head there because we want control of outcomes, situations, expectations, even to a degree, we want control of people. Um, You know, we don't want to just take what comes and just be okay with it. Yeah, I'd say, I want it to be this way. And if it's not that way, I don't like it, or I feel stress, or I feel fear, or I'm so attached to this picture of how it's got to go, and I'm so emotionally attached that if it doesn't go that way, or if my expectation is unmet, then I'm struggling. You totally struggle yeah. and freak out and stress and deal with fear. And then you're operating in a marriage and a family with that kind of state of mind of, of a lot of unhealth. Yeah. So how then do you do this? How do you practice surrendering? First thing is we want to acknowledge the outcomes and expectations that we desire, or especially those that we strongly desire 
and that we don't have control over. I think it's really important to know and to acknowledge, hey, this is what I want to happen. But I also can acknowledge that it may not happen. Yeah, sometimes we don't even have clarity. We don't have labeling that we're even in a place of struggle here. We don't recognize, dang, I'm so attached to this outcome Mm -hmm. and this desire that that's what's actually killing me. I'm not submitting and surrendering to it. So let's take it out to something less emotional, but still emotional. Let's take it to you're buying a house. You're looking, you're looking, you're looking, and then you find this one, and it's a, oh my gosh, the realtor was right. The realtor said, when you walk in, you'll just know it, and I know it, and this is the one. We love this place, we love this house. And then you find out, you know what? There, there's you're going to be in a multiple offer situation or you know what in order to actually get it you're going to have to sell your current house and bust a move and get it on the market and and you've got all this pressure and all this stress to get your home sold or you're going to lose out on this new property that you're going to buy so let's say you make an offer in it and then you get it but there's a contingency that says, well, you've got to sell your house in a short amount of time. It sounds very familiar. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> you've got to sell your house in a short amount of time, and you go into total stress, fear mode. How are we going to get this done? There's all this packing and cleaning and getting the house show ready. How are we going to get all this? And then we're going to lose it. We're going to lose it. We're going to lose it. And then let's say you get the house on the market in time, and you only have like a week to sell your house, or you're going to lose the new house because the month's time is going to be up. And you're totally freaking out. And now you're snippy at each other and you're yelling at people and you're impatient because you're so stressed out and you're feeling out of control in a, in, a, in a way. That is all being so attached to the outcome of the new home yeah. and being so wedded to it that when you back out of it, you are messed up. This is, a, this is what it can show up in all kinds of places in our lives day to day based on family, family outcomes, family expectations, desires you have, things that you want, your own, you know, looking at yourself hard, looking at your own selfishness that can put you into places of not being surrendered not even because you're just so attached to the outcome. And we do this all the time as people. Yeah. So this practice is not a checking of the box kind of thing. This is something that you need to, to kind of keep in the forefront of your mind, especially if you're struggling with something that is out of control and you're like, okay, I need to just surrender to this process and let go of the outcome. Yeah, so I think one of the things about the, the, the step of acknowledging it is bringing it into the light. Being able to realize, oh my gosh, I'm doing that. Mm-hmm. That can be incredibly helpful. And then you can go from there simply because now you have the clarity and the labeling on the thing that you're struggling with. And then you can take yourself to a place of, I need to let go of that or practice letting go of that. Because you may be able to do it in a moment. And then five minutes later, you're, you're stressing over it yeah. again, yeah. or you're dealing with fear over it again. You have to go back to taking your thoughts captive and managing yourself back to a place of, I can't control it. I've got to surrender. There's nothing I can do about it. I can only do what I can actually focus on and do now. I can get the house cleaned up. I can pack things up, whatever. These are the things that I can do. I can work as fast as I can here. At that point, 
It's out of my power. Yeah, exactly. So much fear and stress actually comes when we are attached to outcomes. So much unhealthy stress, let me put it that way, so much unhealthy stress comes from a place of outcome control rather than recognizing what's not in your control and appealing to what's the next right step. What's the next thing I can do because I can't change this big thing that's sitting out here ahead of me. Yeah. And this becomes, you know, we're talking about a house, but then when you're talking about something that is causing pain or problems to your child or your family or your marriage, goodness, that just takes up a whole level of difficulty in surrendering. And I'm just, it's so much more emotional. It's so much more personal. But there's also a great opportunity to grow and become more surrendered and more trusting of God and uh, just practicing relinquishing control. Um, But I think one of those things is even just letting go of that control in the little things and practicing it in the little things so that you become more and more able to surrender to circumstances or people when those bigger issues come up. Yeah, totally. This is such a practice. We we just don't usually arrive as a just surrendered person. Oftentimes, we don't even recognize that we even need to pra- learn that skill set and learn that mindset technique. We just make decisions and we have emotions and we have reactions to it. But when we start, I love the advice on starting with small things that you can just let go, especially when it comes to like if you're if you're a person of faith um, in God that you can sit there and practice your faith. You can walk out your faith, live out your faith in this opportunity because at the same time, you're practicing being more faithful. So go to something significant. Go to something like a home purchase. That's a big deal. It's a big, usually it's a very emotional decision. Unfortunately, it tends to be a very emotional decision. But taking inside your marriage of there are things that you can't control that your spouse is doing or that they want to do or that you you don't know what to do with your child. And it's like, I'm not sure what to do, but you so want to control the outcome. You so want to shape it. So let's say then you start to worry about, man, if I can't get figure out how to parent this child, what's their future going to be like? When they're 12, 15, 18, 22, what am I going to be dealing with? that they're now an adult that's out of my control, you know, my air quotes, control, and all this fear and stress can start to come in and pressure. And then they're in those moments, in those moments for people of faith, it's a, I'm not trusting God in that. I'm struggling to trust that he sees, he sees my child, he sees me, he sees our marriage. He is so faithful He's so good. The spirit is here. Something's going to happen. And you start battling that fear and stress with, you know what? I don't have to be in control. I don't know everything. I don't have to know everything. I'm not saying don't pursue information. I'm not saying rest on your laurels. I'm saying as you're doing things, are you operating in a place of surrender, submission to God, and acknowledging that he does have control? Yeah. He still gets to parent people and work in their lives way beyond 18 years that we get relatively as parents. Yeah. 
because we start to appeal to our faith, and this is a part of walking out our faith and walking out surrender. Yeah, I mean, there's so many examples of times that we have to surrender things like the biological parents of your foster kids. They have influence, and uh, or they may have behaviors that cause things to be a problem or whatever. Um, you may be pursuing adoption and there's circumstances like COVID that just pushes court dates back, pushes court dates back, pushes court dates back, you know, and, mm-hmm. and you don't have control. And, and it's like, well, is this going to go on forever? We want some, you know, we just want some closure to the situation, but it's not happening. Maybe not having control over mandates like visits or phone calls, um, but maybe those things are making situations worse with the child, but you know what? It's what's required. And how do you deal with that? And how do you surrender to that? You know, and it's just being willing to say, this is what we have to do. This is what we're going to do. And we're going to choose to surrender to these situations, even though they're not enjoyable. Um, you know, yeah, I think before we go on, I think that, you know, these, these few that you're, you're stringing together here, um, and what we've walked through all, every single one of these, mm-hmm. every single one of these on their own are surrender items, but you're walking them. We, and we walk them all happening at the same time. Yeah. So it had to be a constant state of focus on what's right in front of you. Mm-hmm. We can't go beyond that. We know what we're working toward. That's great. Mm-hmm. But right now and this week, we have to do this visit. We <laughs> have today. to do this phone yeah. call. Yeah. And we have to focus on what is in the here and the now, knowing what you're working toward, but not sitting today being bitter, negative, frustrated, a victim. Yeah. This isn't what I signed up for. This isn't right. This is hurting the children. What's wrong with DCS? Doesn't anyone see? None of that helps you. Yeah. None of it serves you well. Because a lot of that kind of, of thinking and expressions is coming from a place of, I'm not doing very well. Yeah. Um, does, do, does, do I get it? Totally, I get it. Yeah. Does it make it healthy and helpful? No. And so this is where surrender comes into play of being like, you know what? You're, it's right. It's a, it's a, it is a scientific fact that this kind of influence is actually making things worse for my child. It's not right that this is happening. It does cause setbacks. It does cause behavior problems. And we make a little progress on something, and then we have to move backwards. This is lame I hate this. Yep, exactly. Why? Because you don't have full control. So do you operate and in, in live in negative emotion or do you appeal to, you know what, I've got to practice submission and to surrender to things that I don't have control on, focus on today, and focus on where we're headed, and then move forward each day at a time. Yeah. I mean, there there's just so many things. I mean, those are some big things. Um, you know, where kids go to school may be important to some people. I mean, it's important to us, but it's not something we had to deal with because they're little. Um, but vaccinations is an issue for people. Oh, huge. And, or even illnesses. What if this child gets ill and you don't have medical rights 
to make any decisions on how this illness is treated. And that can be a very difficult place to, you know, to be sitting in. So let's even get a little more personal with that of like our, our, how we worked through practically, how do we work through some of the things um, like that we've talked about here? Like, what did you find yourself um, having to do or where did you have to go in your mindset in order to, to manage? Well, I think the first thing I had to do was what we talked about first off is just acknowledge this idea or this picture over here is what I want but then acknowledge that's not what's happening right now. But I think the the biggest key for me really was trusting that God sees what's going on. God has a bigger plan than, than I could imagine. And he's going to use this in a way for good, even though right now I'm like, I don't see that. You know, and just trusting God in this process. Yeah, sometimes I think it's really hard to trust God in moments of suffering um, and in moments of just difficulty or things that just seem like this just isn't right. There is a lack of justice here. And then there can be such a struggle with that that it can be hard to go to that place. of, so, you know what? That God may be doing something here that there is a sanctification process that may be being worked out in you, in your children, and other people that are involved, that he's moving things toward healing and restoration. Because we, I mean, as believers, we go to our Bibles and we see that we live in the in-between time, between all things being wonderful in the garden and the restoration of all things. We don't live in either of those worlds. We live between those two worlds. We live in the world of brokenness, a world of sin and decay. So what are we trying to do as fostering marriages and fostering people? We are trying to participate in the restoration of all things. That's what we're doing. We're trying to bring about healing and restoration and wholeness in a situation that is incredibly broken. Yeah. I remember when we got permanent custody of our kids, there was no joy. No, it was there was no it was happiness such a in weird that. day because there were so, so many strange. people just reaching out and saying congratulations and we knew where they were coming from. Totally. They were coming from this place of, "Hey, you're you're a step closer to this being um a finalized situation where the kids have stability and but I mean, Joel and I were sitting in the in the car heartbroken because this is a family that is now permanently ripped apart. And it's just, it's just brokenness. Yeah. And you're involving yourself in brokenness. So when we, for, I first learned about this, you know, we were talking with some of our friends and they shared that when they adopted their child, that an all new birth certificate was written and everything about the biological parents was gone. Yeah. It that was... hit me so sad yeah. and heavy because this is all brokenness. We as fostering families are trying to participate in the restoration of all things. That you saw Jesus do this with the healing of one person, a blind man, a paralytic man, a woman in a synagogue. He was participating in the healing and the restoration of all things because he knows that's where the Father is taking things. 
Guys, that's what we're doing too. Let that encourage you. We're not going to fix the brokenness. God's going to do that work. So I know I'm going, if you're not a believer, I'm going super like Christian right now. I hope, hear my heart, hear our heart in this. Because if you're fostering and you're not a, you're not people of faith, in my view, you're doing a wonderful thing and you're being wonderful people. And you are participating in healing and restoration in a world that, as you see, is full of brokenness and things that just should not be happening because of the decisions that we make as people, unfortunately, that ripple effect negatively into other people's lives. And we're choosing to put ourselves into unsafe, harmful, stressful, difficult situations. Why? Because we're trying to serve and we're trying to make a difference. Yeah, a couple more situations, you know, it's maybe the process is taking a really long time to, to, to come to a close, whether that is reunification or whether that is whatever that, whatever that looks like. It's just, it seems to be dragging on and, and you're like, I just want this to go one way or another. I want some closure here. I feel like as people, we want closure on a lot of things. We want things mm-hmm. to kind of be wrapped up in a nice tidy bow and again, we don't have control of that situation. Another one, this is a, a tough one, is surrendering to hard circumstances like a child's behavior. I mean, you you can't choose how that child's going to respond to you. And it can be really difficult to just say, you know what, we did accept this child into our home and we are going to surrender to the fact that this is how they behave and we are going to choose to love on this child and support this child. And yes, they need structure and discipline and all of the things to help them heal, but we're not going to pull away because they're hard people. So going on to key number two, uh, mindset key number two is a mindset of generosity. So that our definition here is the quality of being kind and generous is what we're looking at. The whole act of fostering is an act of generosity. Absolutely. Um, some of you all may have heard my story. When I came out of Israel several years ago, I had a lot of takeaways. And one of them was I knew God was calling me to a higher level of generosity in my life. I didn't know what that looked like. But then one of the things became fostering and moving toward adoption. And when Mary Beth brought it up, I knew it. I knew when you brought it up, it was going to be a, yep, this is, God is, this is part of it, that I'm supposed to say yes here. And we're supposed to not talk about it anymore. We're supposed to now move on this. But God had to work some stuff out in me to reveal himself and to reveal that he is generous. Look at how generous he is. I want you, Joel, Mary Beth, to be like me. Will you do it? Yeah, because I mean, that was one of the things I think we've shared before, but we, my initial conversation with you was adoption, not fostering. I mean, I had, I was a hard no on fostering. And so, yeah, we both were. God had to work through our selfish desires and just kind of move us forward to, to his plan. So what holds, let's get into what holds people back from being generous, because this goes beyond just the decision to foster, mm-hmm. or it goes beyond the decision to adopt. 
generosity shows up all the time in our day-to-day life. So let's get into this cover. First of all, let's shine some light on what are some of the things that hold people back from even being generous people? Well, we've talked about selfishness. You know, that can be selfishness with how much effort you're putting towards something or your selfishness with your time, your desires, your picture of what your life is supposed to look like. That's a huge one. I mean, again, especially when it comes to fostering, that's a game changer. That's a life changer there. So, yeah, that isn't like you're going to go buy a new basketball goal and you all, I don't know if you're going to be happy with that. If you're going to, you're going to spend gonna, this much money and you're going to put it in concrete in your ground and then it's going to have to stay there. You can always rip that thing out of the ground if you need to. Looking at being open and um, with your picture of what your life is supposed to look like and being able to get rid of that is a massive thing to process through and work through. Because a lot of people will speak into that, won't they? People will start to be like, oh, oh my, they'll give you warnings and negatives. And, well, how is this going to affect your biological kids? And what about them? And you've got to think about them. Um, and all this stuff, information and influence can start to come your way. And all of a sudden, you start backtracking. Yeah. And you start dealing with doubt. You start dealing with, with influence that may not always be well-intended. Sometimes that stuff is, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's a bit more about the person saying it that now leads you back toward selfishness and leads you away from being a generous person. Yeah. Well, and fear can hold us back too. We, you know, we fear getting attached. We fear the unknown. We fear failing and messing somebody up or messing up our family or messing up our marriage there's disappointing others. I mean, maybe friends or family members because it's not what they want for your life, which goes back to what you were just talking about. How many people, when we started doing this and started down this path, how many people told you like, oh, I could never do that. I would get too attached. So many people. And (laughs) it's so funny because I got to a point where, I mean, I smiled and nodded because I think when people are saying it, they're saying it in a, wow, I'm so proud of you kind of way yeah. for the most part. But I was like, don't put me on a pedestal. I am I am just a person, you know, and and it was, <laughs> it got bothersome. Well, it, it gets to a place where it, I think the thing for me, because especially with what I do for a living, I can hear at times and see, no, there's just things you need to work through that you, you actually probably have greater capacity within yourself than you realize if you're willing to work through fear. Yeah. Because people are. It's a, I could never get attached and then possibly lose that child. I would crumble. And it's a, I don't want to put myself in harm's way. Yeah. And when I would tell people, and I would start to advise people as they were coming into fostering, is have an expectation that you're going to get hurt have an expectation that it's going to be hard because if you don't have those proper expectations you may struggle all the more when you get into a hurtful situation a painful situation a difficult frustrating situation because it it, your those expectations go unmet but if you already know this is a part of it and i know what i'm signing up for you're more likely in those situations to actually do a whole lot better with it. Well, and I want to speak to just one experience that we had. Our very first placement, 
we were told this is going to be an adoption situation. I mean, this poor little two-month-old baby was coming out of a lot of abuse. I mean, lots of broken bones. And then ultimately that child was reunified with family, not immediate family, but extended family. And it was really hard because, you know, you look at that and you go, well, that family is going to allow the immediate family to have access to that child. And we could protect this child and, and we love on this child. And you can have this fear for that baby or whatever. But for us, that was such a growing experience of going back to surrender. That was a growing experience of surrendering, but also being okay with, with being generous with our hearts and with our emotions. Mm -hmm. And then, okay, God has a plan. And we need to remember that God loves that little baby more than we do. And so there is a plan in place there that we don't know and, and we can't see because it's not our story to see. Yeah, I think another thing in there is that we had the expectation as well mm-hmm. that this may not be an adoption. We can't fixate on that. Yeah. We had an expectation that this child may leave our home. Right. But then, even with all that, we chose to, to attach. Yeah. And we knew what we were doing. We didn't stay, but we didn't back off. We were like, this is the kid who's here. We're going to parent them and love on them and treat them like, you know, he's our own. Yeah. Not keep it distant. Well, the, he may leave and guard your heart. And we were like, in, go in and you may lose them. I don't regret that at all. No, I don't. I don't either. That's Not the thing. a single it's, bit of it. I, I don't. And it was, it was hard. There were so many tears when, when he mm-hmm. left and it was so, it was hard to watch our kids grieve because especially our son was just oh my goodness he loved that baby and that was hard but at the same time we got a chance to love on this little baby for a few weeks and it was it was worth it yeah it was totally worth it i i don't regret in, any single part of it but it was also such an educational and such a growing experience that we also now have that story. We have that experience. We can teach our kids and use that story to teach them things about resilience and doing hard things and putting yourself in a place of where you may get hurt. Mm-hmm. Especially that life isn't just about protecting yourself. Right. Life isn't just about avoiding obstacle <laughs> and avoiding worry and avoiding what you can't control. And life isn't just about you. And it's about your needs and your desires and all the things that we want. But we live in a world that doesn't preach that. It preaches things are about you and you need to solve all that and get anything bad has got to get out of your life. And you shouldn't put yourself in situations because you're going to get hurt. And that's a bad thing. No, it's not. It's simply not a bad thing. Just because you're going to be hurt doesn't make it. It's a bad thing. Why can't we hold the two truths of something hurtful and it being a good thing, why can't we hold those together? Yeah. Well, we can we ha- if we, we choose been... to focus on it that yeah. way. And But so often we haven't been taught to hold those things together. Hence been... why we're teaching it right <laughs> yeah. now. And trying You're to welcome. encourage everybody <laughs> that, it's, that hold those truths yeah. at the same time. Yeah. So, you know, we're talking about what's holding us back from being generous. Control. Again... I feel like everything is going back to surrender. But 
we want to control things and so we don't want to be generous because we want things to look how we want them to look. Yeah, let's talk about of all the things that we could talk about here, the staying in control of your picture, staying in control of your life. Because I think that's a huge one. That's a when you're talking about fostering, often people's objections are I like where we're at. I like where we're at in our home. I like our situation with our biological kids. I like where we're at in our marriage. We've come all this way. We've done all this work. We've come through college. We've paid off these debts. We've worked to have this home. Um, we've worked to now get the, our biological kids through diaper phases, and they're older now. And it's all this, like, I don't want to give up where I'm at. Well, taking this out of foster for a situation, a lot of people um, don't want to change their life because they don't want to change their lifestyle. Most people aren't worried, for instance, about having going homeless and living under a bridge. Most people's fear when it comes to their status and lifestyle is losing where they're at today. That the thought of moving backwards, whatever that is and means, is a, nope, that's a non-starter. When we look at it, what's our real worst case scenario? Call a friend. Family helps you out in a bad situation. I'm going to an example of like, say you lost your job and you couldn't get another one. Most of our worst case scenarios, especially in the Western world, because there's some of you all who listened who don't live in the United States of America, but most people's worst case scenarios is other people have to help you. That's the worst case scenario. Not a, I'm going to be homeless. Our struggle at the heart of it is we don't want to give up our picture of our life and our lifestyle today. I don't want that to change. And then it becomes a control issue. I must stay in control of the picture and I will justify it and rationalize it to my heart's content. Well, you're nowhere near being in a place of being ready to foster then. That's perfectly, don't hear guilt and shame. I'm trying to shed light on decision making and how we're thinking and making decisions in this because so much of that comes back to I want to stay in control of my life, the style that it is, the status that it's at, and I'm not willing to give that up. So that can become a massive objection to fostering, period, altogether. But let's get past that and get into fostering, though, and look at how does control, it's six months, a year, two years down the road in your fostering journey, 10, 20 years down your road in your fostering journey, How does control still show up and hold people back from being generous with their time, their effort, their heart? What does that look like? Goodness, I think it looks different for different people. I really do. I mean, you're going to have some people who X amount of time in are just jaded. I hear a lot of stories of of that, of just, you know, they've become callous to it because they just want to protect their heart because they see so many things that they don't agree with. And I'm not saying that what they see is right or wrong. They just don't agree with it. And so they're like, no, I, I gotta be done with this. So other things of how can, how control can hold us back from being generous, um, as a person is looking at like you're down the road and you're fostering and it's like, where's your heart? Where's your time? Where's your effort that are you willing to be generous with yourself? To your family? Are you willing to be generous to your spouse 
when you're actually down the road and you're focusing so much on parenting and you've got all these kids and they're taking so much attention, where is your generosity toward one another as a married couple? Because generosity to one another is binding. It's unifying because we're choosing to put the other one first. We're choosing to submit to the other one. We're choosing to love and care and prioritize the other one, not to stay super focused on the kids. I love that you bring that up because that... That was hard for me, especially, I think, a year-ish in when it's just, you know, this is our new normal, as they say. (laughs) But we have reached this point of um, there's four kids. It's, It's still exhausting because there's four kids. And there's still a lot of needs, you know, the, the older of the foster children was still in all the different therapies and, um, you know, I'm, I'm homeschooling, I'm teaching, all these things are going on and how do I make time for you? Because I got to tell you, at the end of the day, I'm exhausted and I, and I don't want to, you know, it, it there were times, of course, I didn't. I feel like we have overall a good a good marriage. But the truth is there were times that I was just like, I don't want to. I don't want to go out on a date. I don't want to just hang out. I just, I want everybody to leave me the heck alone. <laughs> yep. You know? So it's it's just choosing to say, okay, yes, I do need to make sure that I'm making time for myself, for my own mental health and mental wellness, because I am an introvert. I do need alone time, but I can't put so much focus on the children. It's, it's, it's finding a new balance is really what that is and what that looks like so that I am being generous with the children and I am being generous with you and I am being generous with myself. But at the same time, I think what generosity looked like before maybe looks a little bit different now. Yeah. And I think in those situations of where generosity can come into play, and I've not thought about it this way until now, but of trying to be generous to you because I recognize where you're at Mm -hmm. and that you are tired, you are exhausted. And so I don't need to put demands on you. I don't need to put requests and expectations that are just too much about Joel. It's a, I have to lean in your direction and acknowledge where you're at and be generous with that and being able to be like, hey, this is, what do you need? Because I have a very clear set in my mind, your job is harder than mine. <laughs> your job every day with four kids and the, and the pace and the home and the rhythm and taking care of the house, the tasks, the constant boundary setting or choice and consequence conversations or dealing with... I deal with adults all day, and your job is so much harder than mine. So uh, because I have that belief, and that's what I see, that actually makes it really easy for me to to just be generous with, like, what do you need? Yeah. And you go do well, what you need you know, to and do. Here's, here's an interesting thing that I actually haven't thought about before is, is generosity doesn't have to be um, just, I'm going to bless you with this. It can be a communication of, hey, what do you need? How can I assist you? How can I help you? And now you're being generous because you're allowing that other person to tell you what they need. And then, you know, maybe you have certain desires or whatever, and you communicate with your spouse, hey, these are my desires. How do we as a couple make that happen? How can I help you 
help me. <laughs> there you go. Brought in a new show movie reference from Jerry Maguire. Excellent. I didn't know where that was from. I was just Jerry like, I know, I know that quote somewhere. Help huh. me help you. Anyway. Help me help you. Help me help you, Jerry. So another thing that can hold you back from generosity is to get practical here. Finances and practical stuff, such as, you know what? We need a new vehicle. Yeah. If we're gonna, if we're gonna be, if we're gonna foster, <laughs> That's or if we're we gonna were. take on more yep. kids, it's like we we have to get very logistical. It's like, okay, well, how do we do that? Where does that come from? How do we save? Who do we ask? Um, how do you find that? How do you figure that out? Money. Unfortunately, people cost money. Um, <laughs> every person you add to your home is like adding a team member to your to your team at work. They have expenses that come with them. Yeah, and and just for clarity, I mean, we didn't foster through DCS. I know there's a stipend, but my understanding is that stipend is not enough to cover the needs. I mean, I could be wrong, but the fact is there is money involved in feeding this child yeah. and clothing this child and, you know, gifts at birthdays and holidays and all the things. Yep. It's just, it is, it's like adding, it's like adding a, you add a person, you add a team member and there's just expense. And the more you have a handle on your money, the more you actually can project actually what's that really do. Um, I, now for me, I'm like, to me, this isn't a really super heavy thing to consider. The life change, impact, service, obedience to God, all those things are to me are priority. Mm -hmm. We figure out the rest of it. Because what are you going to do? A child's going to get in your home and you're going to say like, well, it's tightening the budget a little bit, so we should probably give them back. Oh it's like, God. I don't know if that's the right mindset for, for fostering. <laughs> you know, this isn't quite working out for our budget. I think we didn't think this through well enough ahead of time. But other things are like space in your home. Where are people going to sleep? How much square footage do we have? How do we make those practical things work? It's in actually focus on how do we solve that problem? I mean, we have some friends that they live in like two square feet and they have, they have put 17, a lot of people. 17 foster. No, it's not. They've but, put a lot of their own, their family, and they've taken on a lot. And that in, because these are wonderfully generous and surrendered selfless people. Yeah. And the, so they have figured it out. It doesn't have to look like, well, my home aesthetically isn't going to look the way it is anymore. Well, I don't want someone, I don't want to have to cram that many kids into the room because of whatever the reasons. And you can find yourself actually psyching yourself out for things that are like, okay, how important is that? Mm -hmm. Why does that trump a child? Why does that trump, and it's processing through your objections yeah. So that you don't have objections that really, at times, may be just too much about you yeah. in terms of the way something feels, looks, needs. Work through it and focus on, well, how would we solve that? Is that really about my picture of what my, my life, what I want it to look like, what I want my home to look like? Because you're now trying to keep this thing in order and you're bringing in a major variable such as a child or more than one child, and you're trying to keep everything in order. And sometimes it's just not realistic and it's only gonna compound stress even more. Yeah, I mean, we can use the, the I'm gonna put my air quotes of little things 
like needing a new vehicle or money. I mean, those are important. They do need to be solved and figured out. But also sometimes we can say, well, you know what? That's not really solvable, so we can't do it. Because the deeper thing is, I don't want to. And if you really don't want to foster and you don't feel called to foster, don't do it. But, but you yeah. know, don't use those things. I mean, we had a situation come up fairly recently where we took emergency care of, of a child and we weren't sure if she was going to have a, a home, you know, another, another place to go. And it, <laughs> I will tell you, I was like, our vehicle does not fit one more child. So that was an objection. But the thing is, for us, that probably was going to be a solvable objection. Yeah, it would have been. The the deeper thing was I was feeling overwhelmed and I was feeling, I don't think I can, can bring this child in and give this child what she needs and still give all four of our kids what they need. And that that is a legitimate thing. Yep. But you have to process through and communicate with your spouse on how legitimate are these things and how much are we using them as excuses. Yeah, what's well, like in like in the business world, sales world, I would call some of these things can be fake objections. They're not the real objection. It's they're a I mean, some people would call it an excuse. What I'm going to as I go to the emotional side is go to the, okay, my emotions are saying, don't do this. Well, or my thinking is saying, don't do this because I'm fearful, because I don't want to give up my picture of my life, or I, whatever it may be that we've covered already. And now we can toss up really hard to solve objections that we think will possibly kill the whole possibility. It's like selling something to someone. Well, um, well, you know, it's not in the budget right now. And you, and you actually know it's in the budget, but you're telling the salesperson that you're telling them a lie. <laughs> Sometimes you have the money. And it's a, well, if I tell them it's not in the budget, boy, that'll get them to get off my back. They'll move on then and that'll end the conversation. Well, then a salesperson who's really, really great has a phenomenal response to that that catches you in a oh shoot i didn't see that coming i didn't know that question was going to come but i thought i was out of this conversation for sure and it's so to mary beth's point we have to process through is this a real objection or is this a i really don't want to do this and that's the thing i really need to express and talk about but maybe i'm afraid because it's going to make me look really bad to my spouse because my spouse may be all in on something and I'm not. And if I throw up this fake objection, it then saves me face. See where that can go? Like that's where our thinking and our emotions can go. And then the spouse is like, what do you, what do you, that's totally solvable. Yeah. Oh, no, no, I don't think so. That's not in the budget. We couldn't go get another vehicle. And then we have to go through all that hassle of all the change. And you know how hard it was to get this vehicle, and then how are we going to find something that sits this many kids? And it, it, we just—it's we just can't do it. It's not the right time. But really, it's a I'm afraid, or I don't want to change my picture of life again because I've gotten comfortable with the new one, 
and now we're asking to change it again and disrupt it again. I don't want to go through that. That's the thing to talk about. Yeah. Because then your spouse can hear that. And if hopefully you guys are both healthy enough to be able to, your spouse would hear that and say, okay, okay, that's, let's talk about that. Yeah. Now I see where you're coming from. This is a much, much more serious thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then that can just be a really great conversation of, you know, should we actually do this or not? Exactly. Yeah. So what does it look like then in practice to practice generosity? Give me all your money. (laughs) Give me your money, honey. (laughs) I keep telling the kids when they want things, I'm like, give me $5. (laughs) <laughs> that's exactly what I'll tell them. It's like, yeah, if you give me a dollar. <laughs> and they just give me a high five. I'm like, that's not money. What's funny is Elise would be the one who would actually be like, okay. She's so not attached to money. She would just give it all away. She doesn't care. <laughs> so moving back on what it actually looks like, um, just acknowledging your specific struggles. Like we were just talking about what are the real objections so that you can then move forward on the, on that on that discussion. The next thing that you can do to practice generosity is to get more information. You know, if you're afraid of something and that's what's holding you back, man, fear hates information. If you get more information from experts and people who've done things, it's going to help you get smarter to make better decisions. Yeah, I think we can all relate to that about when we are stressing and fearing something that sometimes we simply need better perspective and information. And first we have to recognize, though, that the fear is there, the stress is there, and then it's a, what do I not know? Who do I need to talk to? Um, I remember we reached out to our friends, you know, Katie, Mm -hmm. and we're like, Katie, what does this look like? You've been down this path. What do you think? What are your thoughts? Because we were dealing with a fear situation. We were dealing with do we take who are our kids now do we take them yeah and we were like there because we were given information that was very concerning yeah and so we were like okay we knew it's like we can't just take that and sit on that so we were prayerful and then we reached out to our friend katie and asked a lot of questions which was immensely helpful yep. for us to then move help us move forward with making the Gosh, decision to I'd take for- them i'd forgotten that yeah, Katie was great on multiple times, actually, we've reached out True. because she and her husband have walked this path with multiple kids and they have adopted multiple kids and just find somebody, find a Katie for you where you can just reach out and say, how did you handle this? What did you do? What did this look like? Because when you get that information, all of a sudden it's like, okay, it may not be easy, but I can actually do this. I can or it may this. not be as hard as you think it's going to or be. Or that, yeah. Because your fear is saying, well, what about that? What about this? Nick, this could happen. And that, and all of a sudden it becomes this big fear-based control struggle. Yeah. And you end up saying no to something that you should have said yes to. Yeah. And then finally, focus on the need of the children. I mean, you are having such such an impact in the lives of these kids and honestly if you have biological children you're having a massive impact on their life by demonstrating generosity as well find joy in that generosity yeah it's not funny it's like you don't always have to find joy in every single thing 
And there's going to be days where you feel like your joy is zapped. But acknowledging and looking at, look at what you're doing day to day, that you are being a generous person, that you are practicing a level of selflessness. And it's being, it is okay to find happiness and joy that you're choosing to express amazing qualities of people. This isn't a look at yourself and how great and wonderful and build up your ego and your pride. It's finding joy that you're, wow, I'm pressing through hard stuff. We're doing something hard and we're choosing to die to self a little bit more so that ever someone else can gain. I remember when we were walking through the process of, of taking our two that I remember we had the conversation, if not us, whom? If we can't do it, who can? If we won't, who will? And I don't like stuff like that. I, am, I'm, I, am, I have a lot of accountability in me. And when I'm shown stuff like that, what I see is, Joel, what is it in you that isn't capable? Why isn't your capacity at a level that you can do that? Well, I have always been very competitive with myself. <laughs> I've always been competitive with me. I've not been very competitive with other people. But when I'm shown or something's laid out to me in a way that's a, if not you, then who? I will kick things into gear and tend to go into a, okay, I don't like that. I don't want to be the person that said no and now lives in that regret or, or follow on guilt of you made the wrong decision, Joel, and you know that you did. But that's me. That's like my value set is that's how I can make decisions. But I love this point on focusing on the need of the children and then looking at a, you know what, if not us, then whom? Well, sometimes we can be quick to say, well, then somebody else, then somebody else will take it. I think it's healthy to take a hard look at yourself then and say then, then why is that the case? Yeah. What is it about me or us that we're not saying yes or we don't have the capacity because it's not financial and it's not logistics and it's not practical. And depending on who you are, you may then choose to do things to actually increase your capacity so that you can then focus on the needs of the children and the needs of other people. So the third key that we want to talk about is trust in God. And the definition of trust is to believe in the reliability, truth, ability, or strength of. So first of all, if you're not a believer, um, it, it, please don't be offended by this. Hopefully, if you've listened to us long enough, we're not trying to be offensive by being very forward. This is our podcast. And so we're like, we're going we're gonna to be forward with what our belief system is. And if that's not yours... Um, please don't be offended by it. Hear our heart, and hopefully you're finding a lot of value in the information anyway. So I'll say that for starters. Two, let's look at the definition of what you just read. It's like the believe in the reliability of God, the truth of God, the abilities of God, the strength of God. That's what we're saying when we're saying trust in God. None of that has anything to do with you. It has everything to do with him. Yeah. It's not about you when we're trusting in him. And so we can walk in faith and we can pray for God to bless our walk. But trusting in him 
is seeing who he is above all things. When, you know, before he brought Israel out of Egypt, he revealed who he was first. Mm-hmm. Not, here are my instructions to bless your life. And here's what I want you to do as holy people. He first revealed who he is. Then he revealed who they were to him. Then he brought them into a betrothal relationship, like a marriage, and then said, here are your vows. I will be your God if you will choose to be my people. And here's how to do so by living out my instructions. And all the people, the mixed multitude of Gentile people and Hebrew people said, I do. We will do those things in this covenant relationship. But what did he do first? He revealed who he is. John's letter of John's letters in Revelation or the the letters to the churches, those letters began with what? A picture of who Jesus is and what he looked like to John first, reminding the people this is who he is. This is what I saw. And if you were to read that in a letter, that probably struck you heavily because people had drifted. Time goes by as people of faith and we lose our faith or we come back to where we were because there's not a miracle happening every second that's bolstering our faith. That's why it doesn't, it shouldn't, our trust in God shouldn't hinge on that. Our trust in God should hinge on first, who is he? That he's reliable, he's true, he has great abilities, and he has great strength as the creator of all things. So with that, let's get into some of the things. What holds us back oh, man. Um, from I was, trusting God? I was looking through this list that we put it together, and I was like, well, all of this is about us. <laughs> so the first one we, we want to talk about was control. Again, I mean, I feel like we've come to control 17 times in this episode. Yeah. But it's such it, it's such an a issue. thing that it's an issue that we deal with. Yeah. Fear. And again, we've brought this one up a lot. All the fear of the unknown and fear of having to lose control. Yeah. Fear of, you know, is that child going to be okay? Well, what if something happens? You know what? What if something does happen? And they're reunified, like our story we shared earlier. First of all, can we control it? No. Two, are we trusting God? Three, what if God's day and time for that child is not when ours is? Yeah, but God took that child at three months old. Yes, he did. And sometimes he does that. And we're left to grieve and mourn. It doesn't make it wrong. It's God's child before our children are our children. It doesn't make it wrong. But what do we not want to deal with? The awful grief, mourning, sadness, and hurt. Because that's what we're left behind with in our life today. None of us want to deal with that. None of us want to deal with that. You heard our story. We were crying over the loss of this child. But something we didn't do was unnecessarily fight for control when it wasn't our place to do so. It wasn't our place to do that. It was our place to say, okay. 
this is the next thing that's supposed to happen and we have to submit we have to surrender and we have to trust god we have no clue the status of him today no we have absolutely no idea and it's not a thing i think a lot about i think more about our day-to-day life yeah with our kids and life and marriage and work than i do thinking about him but when i do I don't have worry and fear about where he is personally. No, but it's funny because every now and then when he comes up, you know, I pray for him. And I'm like, you know, maybe that's why God put him in our house for the time that he did. Is it's a great point. Through his life, he has somebody who is praying for him who will not forget him, you know? Yeah. And maybe that's what God wanted from that. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe there was something completely else. But yeah. that is what I can do. Now that he's left, that is what I can control is whether I choose to pray for this child or not. Yeah, that's such a great point. Another one is I'm going to I'm going to caveat this and tee it up a little bit because this can hit some people right in the nose. Um, So just know that it's coming. Something else that holds us back from trusting in God is just our faith being weak. It's just not where it should be. I meet I work with people weekly on a daily basis that fully recognize And we'll say, Joel, my relationship with God isn't where it needs to be. My faith is weak, and I need to do something about that. And I've let too many distractions and things in life get me to a place where my faith is now weak, and I can't do hard things. I'm fearful. I want to stay in control. I struggle with trusting God. Um, And so we operate in this place of having weak trust. You know what? I don't think it's a surprise to God that we are choosing to put faith in this invisible God who we have never seen. The Bible actually speaks on this. And the Bible says that you who actually put faith in me and you've never seen me are actually blessed all the more because you're choosing to put faith in something invisible. Because that's what we're choosing to do. But also hear what's being said. We're blessed all the more. But then we can struggle because it's not tangible. I can't touch him. I don't see him. I didn't live in the first century world in Israel following Jesus around as he was healing and teaching and preaching and living life. I didn't see that. I don't see the Spirit. I don't, the Holy Spirit is invisible. I don't see him. We have to trust that God is there. We have to trust that the word of God is true. Well, because of all these other things that aren't there, where can we find ourselves? Weak in our faith. Yeah. And then what kinds of decisions do we make? Sometimes bad ones. That we can make decisions to control outcomes. We can make decisions where there's too much fear. It's become so cliche to be like, you know what, you know, faith over fear, faith over fear, and you got, you got to just got to faith over fear, and, I, and like I hear what people are saying, but it's so simplistic and it's so surface level, and it doesn't address the deeper things that hold us back from having faith over fear, because we've not worked through that stuff. We don't have greater clarity, or a lot of people would be like, that's right, amen. I, I do do that. I put my faith in over fear. And then at 12.02 in the afternoon someday, there's evidence that shows that, oh, I don't. So we've got to get super honest with ourselves as believers. We've got to get very honest with ourselves. But, you know, but this also takes a mindset 
of that your walk with God and your living out your faith goes beyond your moment of salvation. Because we can hang out on, you know what, but I'm saved. You know what? God has never said, now that you've, you've chosen faith and now that you are, you're saved, which is actually an assumptive close. It's actually a, I'm going to be saved eternally. That's really what it means. God has never once, in from cover to cover in the Bible, said that your relationship stops and your obedience stops at your moment of salvation. Ever. God brought Egypt. Sorry, I'm getting on a little, little <laughs> Bible faith rant here. God brought Egypt or brought Israel in the mixed multitude out of Israel into marriage and saved them from from slavery and bondage. He brought them out after revealing himself to him and then he instructed them. Now as saved people who have committed themselves to me, this should sound like our faith in Jesus. Now that you've committed yourself to me, now follow me. Walk out your faith. Choose obedience. Pursue. Run and get away from sin. Pursue righteousness. You're a holy person. You're supposed to live like one not just rest on, you know what, but I'm saved and that's good and I praise God for all that, as we should, as we should, because God's doing all the good work there. This isn't about boasting. This isn't about, look at how great of a Christian I am. Paul had words on that, that you are saved, you know, by grace through faith, not by works so that no man can boast. This isn't about your salvation and walking out your relationship with God. It's God's expectation of his holy people, Jew and Gentile, is to walk it out. And so this has been heavy on us in our lives for years now of walking out, walking out, walking out. This is a part of of God telling me specifically coming out of Israel that as my child, I expect more of you and I'm calling you to a higher level of generosity. And little do you know it's going to involve pain and suffering and tears and stress and fear. And I am calling you to that. Well, if God is a one of reliability, of truth, of ability, of strength, of love, of grace, of care, if that's who's calling me, but he's calling me to something that's going to hurt me, that's exactly right. You know who he also called to do something that was going to hurt him? His son. His son was obedient to something that he wanted no part in. He prayed for the crucifixion to go away. He did not want to do it. But he was obedient to God's will for his life. God expects the same thing of us. And so if we're walking in weak, lukewarm faith... Will we be the people of God that he wants us to be as saved people? You can do none of this and find your way into eternal life. But is that what God wants of us in this life? No, that is not what the Bible teaches. So uh, there's, I'm done with my rant. We'll move on. <laughs> 
that seriously, hopefully that's hopefully this is helpful in some way to to you guys. So Joel, you know, really what you're talking about there is when you're not practicing your faith in the context of doing something hard, that you're not growing your trust in God, you know, and if we don't know God well enough, we aren't going to trust in God. So the, the other thing that can hold us back from trust in God is your upbringing or experience with your parents or even other influences, but your parents are such a, a massive influence. And what if they were not believers or what if they were religious, but they were very toxic people? Those things can shape how much you trust God or don't. Yeah, so there is a so there's a reason God is Father, and we all have fathers. And many people um, that I have um, experienced in in working with just hundreds of people and a lot of believers is that a lot of believers struggle in their relationship with God, um, or they don't have people don't have a relationship with God, or they move away from one is directly tied to their earthly father specific, because earthly father was controlling, critical, negative, demeaning, always had to be right, unapologetic, lots of toxic behavior, that gets transferred onto God. And it often gets transferred that he's the same way, or it gets transferred in a, well, I felt this way with my earthly father, so this is how God must view me too, and I now feel like a disappointment, like a failure, and then I want to move away from God. I want to hide. I want to ignore or I go to this God is going to be mean, wrathful, controlling, unaccepting, non-graceful. Um, and all and people don't realize oftentimes that they have put their experience with their earthly father onto God. Or they've put their feelings of feeling inadequate and unworthy that God must see me that way. And all of a sudden we have no relationship with God or you're weak in your faith. And so this is root system. So I got into, was this this episode I got into root system or was it the last one? I think it was the last one, but I got into some root system stuff. So go back and listen to that one. But this is all this influence that's in your past can shape or influence in experiences with your parents can shape where you are with God as you live that out day to day in your life. Yeah. So we want to talk about what it looks like in practice to trust in God first thing is acknowledge what's holding you back from your faith and make a different choice. You know, we listed all these things that are possibly holding you back. Just take some time and really figure out what is holding me back and acknowledge that so that you can choose differently. So what what that might look like for you is, you know, the situation that I talked about earlier with our first placement where we were told by people who are placing him in our house that this was probably going to be an adoption situation. And as Joel mentioned, you know, we didn't, we weren't there. We still had that conversation of you don't know until you know. And so let's not have that as our expectation. But at the same time, when he was removed, we knew that he was going back to extended family and we knew the level of abuse that had happened to this child and i had actually been in contact with his mom as part of our agreement on a daily basis so every now and then i would reach out and just ask her how she was doing and whatever 
And I could tell from some of her responses that she was getting far more access to him than we were told that he was supposed to have. Now, here's the thing. There had been a court date, so some some things may have changed. And I didn't feel like it was my place to step in or whatever. But there was definitely this part of me that was angry and struggling with this child shouldn't be around these people. And I had to choose to let that go and to trust God and to trust that God loves this child and that God has a plan for this child. And I had to choose to let it go. And there were moments that were very hard. And I think even in the in any of this fostering process, you know, when, when there's things that aren't going the way that you want them to go, just choosing to let go of anger, frustration, bitterness, any of those negative feelings that you may have towards anybody that's involved in this situation that you that isn't doing things that you feel are best for this child. Yeah, because it's you don't have control. Yeah. And when you can get to a place of recognizing at times, you know what? We don't have control and I'm not I'm not surrendered. That doesn't mean you like it. Yeah. It doesn't mean you like it. Jesus didn't like it in the garden when he was hours from his crucifixion. He was so stressed. He was sweating blood. He never liked it. He went to the cross willingly. That's an extreme example of submission and surrender and selflessness. He never liked it. He didn't like it when he was hanging there suffocating. He didn't like it when he was beaten. He didn't like it when a spear was taken up through his ribcage into his heart. He didn't like one bit of it, but he was simply obedient and he wasn't focused on controlling the outcome of saving himself, saving his life, sparing people heartache and agony and trauma. He was focused on God's outcome and being obedient to what God had called him to do. We can practice doing the same things. So just because you're, if you're choosing to submit and surrender, it doesn't make it easy at times. It doesn't mean that you have to like it and all of a sudden be giddy about it. That's not what we're saying. Yeah, It's about making the choice, though, at times to recognize where do I need to submit and surrender because I or we simply don't have control. So this brings us to one of our last points here, which was being okay with not seeing what's in front of us in our life and being okay with that mystery of what's what's coming ahead. Yeah. Well, I think this also brings up the point that how many times have we seen God move and we forget or we don't acknowledge because for whatever reason, you know, just on a very small scale, just even the other day, there was these really bad storms that were going to be coming through. I mean, to the point that schools were closed and they were expecting tornadoes and really bad winds. And I know that morning that Joel had prayed for protection over our house, our family. You know, I, I went outside, I was taking the trash out and it was windy and the storms had not come yet. 
And it was so windy. I mean, we had lost, I think, two trees, a tree or two at that point. Yeah. I mean, we live in a place that is, we're, we're in a hollow, so we're <laughs> surrounded by a forest of trees. Yeah. And so, you know, I was just outside praying for protection over our family and whatnot. I go inside and I, you know, I looked at the radar and there's some, a strong line of storms coming. And then about 30 minutes passed after that, there was going to be another strong line of storms. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll look at the radar again in about 45 minutes and just see, you know, do we need to, because where we live, we don't get the tornado warnings or whatever. Or if we do, I certainly don't think we would hear them. (laughs) So I was like, I'll just kind of keep an eye on the radar and just see, you know, do we need to get to a safe place or whatever. And so about 45 minutes passes, I look at the radar and the storm had completely broken. And I don't mean broken up. I mean, broken in half, probably not quite exactly in half because we were at the top part, but you didn't didn't measure it 50, 50, I didn't measure it 50, 50, but it broke and it went North of us and it went South of us. And I said to the kids, I was like, look at this radar. I'm like, mommy and daddy prayed that this would, you know, that we would be protected. And I'm like, and look what happened. And and then, you know, our firstborn goes, did God do that? And I'm like, well, it seems like it. It seems like that was God. And then our daughter, our oldest daughter, she's so sweet. She's like, mama, we need to get that journal and write these things down. And she's exactly right. So here's so you, you may hear this and and be like, oh, it wasn't God. It was the terrain, you know, the altitude. That's what caused it to break. And so you know what? You can go on and on and on all day, and you may be right, but you know what? You might be wrong. How do you? How do we know that that wasn't God? Do I think God is answering our prayer and sending the storms toward the other people to cause havoc in their life? Not at all. What I do is what we do is we operate in faith. That very well may have been God answering our prayer. Why? Because one thing I know about him is that he loves us that much. And he cares for us that much. That he hears prayer. And he often answers prayer. So what's the possibility that was him? It is there. Yeah. And so before we go to our super scientific, logical geography explanations or weather (laughs) patterns, you know what? You may be right. But that also is lacking in faith. Where are you going to have faith? What do you put your faith in? Do you not think miracles can happen? Do you not think God can do those things? Do you explain stuff away? But I look at as people of faith with lots and lots and lots of evidence of a one true living God that I go right to, you know what? That very well may have been God who did that. And our daughter is exactly right. We should journal. And because like I'm terrible at that. Like I love the idea of it, but I want somebody else to do it. Like I'm I would have been if it were up to me, we would never have a Bible. Because I would have never written anything down. <laughs> I'd have just been like, that was amazing and moved on in my life. And never written it down and then long forgotten. But one of the things that is so awesome about journaling your God moments in order to build your faith is that you are, in a way, you are creating a modern day Bible. That's what you're doing. Now hear me on this. We have the Word of God. 
what does the Bible, what does it teach us about God? Isn't it full of God's stories and God moving? When you journal things today and you write your own stories, you're writing down your own things that we can read about all through the Bible of where Elijah, there was a miracle that happened, or stories involving Jesus that are historic accounts of God moments. Resurrection, people coming back to life again at, at Jesus' death, those are God moments. Do we journal and write down our God moments today? Why? So we can draw back on those as well. Are you pinning the word of God? No, you're not. So don't hear me saying that. And don't don't latch on to that detail and be like, Joel, you're a her- you're it's heresy and blasphemy, and I'm never listening to your show again. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, are you journaling these things? Because that's also what the Bible, one of the one of the functions of the Bible is to for us to go back and look and read and see in order to build our faith and build our trust in God. And that's why Elise is right, that we should become better journalers. And I praise God for people like you know, like you and Elise who actually are like, you know what, we are going to write that stuff down. Yeah. Because I'm just not gifted in those ways to be motivated to do so, but I sure love the benefit of it. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. I think about there are so many things that we haven't written down. And then when we are telling these stories, we're like, well, wait a minute. Oh, I forgot that detail. I forgot that detail. And it's great that we're sharing them verbally because then we can collectively help remember the stories. But again, I mean, writing that stuff down or having somebody write that down. And I mean, shoot, there's even online journals. So if you're more of a typer, you can do it that way. But I mean, having that story so you can reflect back, God did this, God did that. Okay, maybe you're like, yeah, the storm's like, whatever. But I mean, we can see even in our story of the whole time from Israel through today, just moment after moment after moment of, wow, God worked that out. And and honestly, that was what in those some of those early days when I was struggling so badly with the older foster child where I could go back and when the director of our organization was like, do we need to disrupt this placement? Do we need to find a different home for these children? I could say, no, we're going to make it. I don't know how, but we know, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this was God's doing to bring these children to our home. And so we want to be obedient and we want to be faithful. We need some help. Yeah, exactly. So guys, your best decisions, they come from your best thinking. And the more you practice, the better decisions you're going to make, even in the hardest of circumstances. So join us next month for part two of Developing a Fostering Mindset. Again, if you enjoy this podcast, rate and review it wherever you listen. It helps other fostering marriages discover and find it. And follow us on Facebook at Fostering Marriage. So we hope this has been helpful for you. Join us on the next episode of the Fostering Marriage Podcast.